0: The world is full of microorganisms so small that it is impossible to see with the naked eye. Microbiology is the study of these organisms. It might not be the most interesting thing you have ever heard about, but you may be surprised. I admit, out of all the sciences out there, I thought to myself, how could something I couldn't see be so interesting? Why do they matter? The lives of humans, plants, and animals are all linked to the microorganisms that shape our day-to-day lives. Hello, I'm Naomi Williams, and welcome to Under the Scope. In this episode, I will be introducing you into the invisible world of bacteria and viruses. You probably just picked up your phone to listen to this podcast. And what you should be thinking now is, I need to wash my hands. Or more importantly, when was the last time I cleaned my phone screen? The typical phone is carrying 25,000 bacteria per square inch. For your reference, your phone is dirtier than a toilet seat. But actually, washing your hands way too often can strip your hands of the good bacteria needed to fight off germs. Bacteria are like sharks. While some rather aggressive ones will bite off the limbs of a human, the majority of them are harmless. In fact, there are about 39 trillion bacteria living in your body right now. But don't get me wrong, hand washing is a good thing and I think we all need that reminder. There are roughly 150 different species of bacteria on your hand that are able to quickly replenish themselves after a thorough hand washing, so everyday hand washing will not kill all the good bacteria. Bacteria are found everywhere and have been living for millions of years. These resilient bacteria can adapt to the most extreme environments, which is why they have lived for so long. When most people think bacteria, the words sickness and disease come to mind. You wouldn't be wrong for thinking this. Bacteria can cause serious diseases like tuberculosis and meningitis. However, microbes can also be used to make new therapies to help fight these illnesses, such as antibiotics and vaccines. Microbiologists are an essential part in helping to treat these illnesses. Many work as clinical microbiologists in hospitals and laboratories, testing samples of body tissues, blood, and other bodily fluids to diagnose, identify, and manage infectious diseases.
1: Um, we still have to do a lot of um, manual work, and we have to think a lot. Um, it's a, it's a, um, a, a section of the laboratory where you don't just place a specimen on an analyzer and wait for a result. You have to work through the specimen and through um, the patient. Um, symptoms and work with the physicians to actually um, determine uh, the an issue for the patient. So um, it's still a real it's still a real true science. It's not anywhere near automated.
0: That was Mrs. Fisher, the laboratory operations manager at the Children's Hospital for the King's Daughters in Virginia. Microbiology is a true science and very lab-based at the core, but the field as a whole is not limited in scope. It's not just the diagnosis and identification of diseases, but it is a science applicable to so many other fields like epidemiology, biotechnology, and immunology. Bacteria are a domain of prokaryotes known for their peptidoglycan cell walls. The cell structure is simpler compared to other organisms because they do not have a nucleus or are membrane-bound organelles. Instead, they have a control center containing genetic material within a single loop of DNA. Some bacteria have an extra loop of genetic information, known as a plasmid. Think of a plasmid like a flash drive, storing information while also being very small and portable. The plasmid sometimes will contain genes that give some sort of advantage over the bacteria, such as resistance to antibiotics, production of toxins, or a tolerance to harsh environments. Bacteria that cause disease are known as pathogens, and the ones that usually provide benefits to the host are the normal flora. That is not to say the normal flora can't cause disease. If the immune system of the host is compromised, or if the normal flora enters a sterile area of the body, like the appendix, those bacteria can be harmful, too. Furthermore, bacteria are able to reproduce through binary fission, and when conditions are favorable, can divide rapidly, which is why people can quickly become ill when pathogenic microbes invade the human body. Not only this, but some bacteria can form endospores. These are resting structures that are resistant to extreme physical and chemical conditions. I like to think of it as a blanket of protection for bacteria. The bottom line is that bacteria are resilient. Believe it or not, bacteria are not the only type of pathogenic organism. I know, crazy. There are also viruses, fungi, and parasites. But I'm going to dig a bit deeper into viruses. Viruses are not classified as prokaryote or eukaryote, but are still considered microorganisms. They consist of a nucleic acid core surrounded by a protein shell called a capsid. We can classify these viruses into two major groups, DNA and RNA, which then again can be subdivided by the capsid shape and the presence of an envelope, which is a lipid-rich covering around the capsid. Furthermore, these morphological types or shapes are divided. Helical viruses resemble long rods. Polyhedral viruses usually have a capsid in the shape of an icosahedron. Enveloped viruses have a capsid covered by an envelope. And complex viruses do not have capsids, but sometimes have a polyhedral head and telical tail. These are most known as bacteriophages. Because viruses cannot grow on their own, they replicate in living hosts. This can happen in two ways. Viral replication that kills the host cell causing it to burst is known as the lytic cycle. Have you ever had one of those annoying house guests that eats all the food in your pantry and then makes a mess out of everything on the way out? That is the lytic cycle. The virus injects its own DNA into the host cell and uses the cell's own mechanism to create more viral DNA and assemble new phages. Phages are just viruses that attack bacteria. The virus will then disintegrate the cell, releasing new phages to repeat the cycle. The second form of replication is when the virus will stay inactive inside of the host cell and doesn't immediately kill it until activated. This is called the lysogenic cycle. This is like the same annoying house houseguest except never leaves. Similar to the lytic cycle, the virus will attach itself to the cell and inject the DNA. Once the viral DNA attaches itself to the host's DNA, it becomes a prophage. Therefore, when the host cell divides, the new gene is replicated and passes it on to new cells. Two things may happen from here. The prophage might survive and become a permanent part of the host's DNA, or some type of external stimulus can cause the prophage to activate, producing more viruses. In the end, neither of them are actually good, and both can cause harm to the host cell. Now, Joyce will talk about the progress of an infection and how one is acquired.
1: Hey guys, my name is Joyce Poon, and I'll be talking about an overview of vaccines throughout our podcast, Under the Scope. But for today's episode, I'll be discussing the progress of infection and how they are acquired. As Naomi previously discussed, pathogens can cause harm to the host cell, thus it is very important to understand its progression in order to prevent further damage caused by the infection. Though the progress of infection may seem complicated, it can be simply traced from microorganisms that invade the body and multiply. The source of these pathogenic microorganisms can be classified as either exogenous or endogenous. In an exogenous infection, the infection is transmitted via the environment, animals, and even people. Additionally, an exogenous infection occurs when a microorganism is inhaled from the upper or lower respiratory tract or when it comes into contact with skin or muscle as a result of trauma or surgery. The next step is for the microbe to attach to the host. This process is called adhesion, and it may utilize fimbriae, capsules, receptors, pili, or flagella to do so. The adhesions will latch onto the surface of the host almost like a leech. Then if the bacteria has sufficient numbers, it will be able to overcome the host's cell defense system like a well-trimmed army going to battle. Some of these bacteria produce substances that weaken and kill the host's ability to engulf or absorb bacteria, also known as destroying phagocytes, or they can produce a protective coating around their microbe to resist being engulfed. I'm sure as you can tell, these organisms are truly resilient. The last step is for the pathogen to wreak havoc on the organism. What this means is the pathogen releases virulence factors, which are molecules that aid in taking over the host cell. And finally, the microbe exits the host cell and finds a new place to occupy, such as reservoir or vector. The microbe will then try to find a new target through direct transmission, indirect transmission, or nosocomial infection. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Next time on Under the Scope, Naomi and I will be diving deeper into the topics of antimicrobial agents and finally introduce the realm of vaccines.